most every Sunday, most every week prior to Sunday, I take some time to write down some notes. And then I bring them up here and I put them on the podium. And I don't usually go back to them, but I know they're there and there's security in that. I didn't write notes for today's lesson. And I didn't write notes for today's lesson because I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to give today's lesson. And if you were in the first service, you'll know it was really hard the first time. I'm hoping it will be a little easier to go through the second time. I want to talk to you about Myrtle and Charles and their healing process. And what makes it difficult is having just recently lost my father. And who? What is interesting for me about this whole experience and trying to put words around this is that my dad did most of what I would have said he needed to do. He was an incredibly positive man. His whole life he was that. But when he got struck by cancer, he decided it was not going to take him out. And he became, I never, in my whole life, my father never, I never heard my father pray. I never, the only thing I ever remember my dad saying about God was, who's to say, we lived across from the church, who's to say there's more God in that building over here than there is out here where I'm mowing his good good green earth? That's the only thing I ever remember my dad saying about God in 54 years of life. And in my 55th year, when my father was diagnosed with with cancer, he began writing a daily prayer and sending it to his kids. And then people would come to visit him and his kids would mention it and people would say, well, can can I get on your prayer list? And so my dad was sending this daily prayer out. And by the time my dad made his transition, he had 120 people relying on him to say this, to to offer this prayer. Who was this guy? (laughs) So it's not the dad I grew up with. And it was, but it was in in a whole new way. As it turns out, I found out in the last year of his life that he had entered seminary and expected to be a minister in the in the military and got called into war and never went back to seminary. But he never told me that. All those years he never told me. He said he wanted me to follow my own path and he didn't want me to feel like I needed to pick up his. So if ever there was anybody who visually to me did all the right things to get well, it was my dad. And there's been a reconciling for me about how how I think healing should work and what happens when I think it should work a certain way and it doesn't. And I think that's one of the hard things that we all face. That this, this unity that we love and is so precious to us was founded on the need for wellness. Myrtle Fillmore had three little boys. She was in her 40s. She had children. She was dying of tuberculosis. She was highly motivated. Highly motivated to get well. She never, ever started out with the vision of this. She did this to get somewhere, to take care of her children, to share her life with her family. She didn't do this to build a movement. 
What motivated her was her desire to be present for her family, to be out and well and active in life. And when we approach our own healing, we are not motivated by outside reasons, are we? We're motivated by what is important to us, what we want to be able to do. So sometimes we're healing our emotions and sometimes we're healing our body. Sometimes we're healing our heart. Sometimes we're just trying to heal our life and come back into a place of balance. But we are motivated to do that by something more. When Lawrence Palmer was here on his last day, he and I shared this platform for his, his last ceremony. And his last ceremony was uh, done on, on New Year's Eve. And he gave a lesson that night, and I don't know how many of you were here to hear it, but I remember it as though it was still ringing in my ears. The words he said over and over were, there is more. There is more. There is something so much more than we have even come to expect. And when I think about Myrtle, I think somehow she knew there was something more. There was something more, and if she could just find it, she could change what was happening. And I think that's really what we're talking about when we talk about healing. Some of you have been following our conversation on Facebook, and I've been posting some things that are moving around unity. And if you have an interest in where unity is going and where its confusion is about who it is, you can read some of that stuff, and it, it will give you an idea of what the whole movement is struggling with. So in doing that, I, I've reached out to a couple of people. I came into unity just at the time that it was changing, and it was a perfect fit for me. But for people who've been here a long time, the changes that are happening are not so comfortable. And so I've been reaching out to some of those and exchanging letters and saying, help me understand, and, and all of that, and... And so it's from one of those conversations with a, a colleague who's been involved with Unity for 40 years that, uh, that I came to this book again this weekend. And he said the two, there were two chapters in this book that were really valuable to him. The chapter on the secret place of the Most High and the chapter on how to find the secret place of the Most High. And it made me go back and read them. And if you have not done that in a while, you might want to. They're, it's very good stuff. What he said to me that was so moving was, unity right now has become about five principles. And those five principles are great. But this, finding the secret place of the Most High, is the central pillar of unity that nothing works without that. It's at the very core. And so I, I was reading that, and I was reading Marcus Bach's story of unity and thinking about how Myrtle and Charles both sat. They made time to sit. Myrtle very intentionally sitting with a chair across, asking for the presence of Jesus Christ to be with her and blessing her body. And I don't know if the ushers passed this out because I don't, didn't tell them. <laughs> but back on the table for you in case you didn't get one. And ushers, it's okay because I didn't tell you it was back there. Is a double-sided sheet. 
for you to pick up and you can take this home with you. And it is Myrtle's blessing. This is what Myrtle used when she was blessing her body. These are the words that she used. So I wanted you to have a copy of them and see them. I thought about how much work she did. She basically said, I love and bless every part of my body. I love and bless my sinuses. I love and bless my thyroid. I love and bless my elbows. I love and bless the bones in my body. I love and bless my kidneys. I love and bless my liver. I, everything. And I looked at this myself and thought, I don't have an hour to love and bless every part of me. <laughs> this is way too much for me. So I did seven lovings and blessings, seven statements of health, opening with any illness, imbalance, or disharmony in my body, mind, and soul has no power over me. From the secret place of the Most High, I now bring myself into perfect health and balance. I tried to copy this for you, and the copier said no, (laughs) which makes me think you're supposed to do your own. It's not, it's not our job here. I've said this to you a million times. It's not our job to hand you your spiritual experience on a silver platter. It's my job to motivate you, to inspire you, to beseech you at times, to do something for yourself. Today, I am in that place. Today, I offer you that there is one central piece of unity that is so important that nothing else we teach will work or matter Unless you get this piece. I copied. Oh, I copied. Put those on my desk. I just said they can't have them. <laughs> no, I'll give them to you later. You can set them out there. I'm teasing, Pat. Thank you. You can set them on the table with the other ones. That core piece is that you are in union with the divine. And I want to read to you one little piece from this book. This is on page 94 of Lessons in Truth. The secret place of the Most High, this is from Psalms 91, uh, verse 1, where each of us may dwell and be safe from all harm or fear of evil is the point of mystical union between man and spirit or God in us. I'm going to read it again. The secret place of the Most High Where each one of us may dwell and be safe from all harm or fear of evil is the point of mystical union between man and spirit or God in us. So what makes us different than than mental science? Mental science says, because I say this is so, it is so. I say it, it is so. What is different for us from that is that we say, because I am one with God, I am authorized to say it is so. Because I am one with the holy, I don't care. Some people say, can we please not say God? You can say anything you want. Call it God, call it great spirit, call it universal energy, call it divine presence, call it whatever works for you. God, goddess, all that you are, whatever The point is, whatever you name it, it's still the same thing. And it's the only thing there is, and it's what we're made of. So if you're floating along in the ocean, and you come across 
a iceberg, you can count on the fact that there's a whole lot more under the water than there is at the top. Is everything you see at the top still one with everything underneath the water? Yes. What if you can see an iceberg here and you can see an iceberg here? Is it possible that those two peaks are still part of the same iceberg? Absolutely. There is you and 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 you. And And what's underneath that is the bottom of the iceberg. We are just peaks, just points of reference in the wholeness that is God. And so when we talk about the secret place of the Most High, we're not talking about one drop in the ocean of God. We're talking about all of it, everything, all, one, it, that each of us is the expression of the wholeness of the divine. And all manner of healing is possible when we access that, when we truly understand that we are one with all that is and there isn't anything else. Now, that sounds great until your dad is dying and it's not working. And then it doesn't sound so great. It sounds challenging, really challenging until you're sick and you have real motivation and it's not working. Why isn't it working? When I think about my dad and I think about what happened with him, the one piece that I know my father didn't have or perceived differently is that theologically he believed God was outside of him. He prayed hard. He had faith. He experienced that aspect of God that is outside and I am not going to say it isn't because I believe God can be inside and outside. I believe we should not limit where God can be. But I know that for him, even when he and I talked, it was hard for him to have any true ability to consider that he was God. And that's a hard thing for every single person in this room to get, to accept. Because we were taught that it's heresy and it's blasphemous and who are you to think you're God? And it's hard to get that. And we can talk about it up here in our head, but that is not where the secret temple of the Most High lives. The secret temple of the Most High is here in our heart. There's a knowing, a true knowing, when you've met God in yourself, that nothing and no one can ever take from you. And from that place, you can step forward knowing that you are in alignment with divine will. If it is in alignment with the highest good, then I pray for healing. Even when we say our prayers, you'll hear me say that. You'll hear me say, let these prayers be answered in alignment with the highest good for everyone. So when we talk about this, I, I didn't want to write it down today because I wanted it to be real. I wanted to talk about it from a very real place that it takes waiting and awareness 
to find the secret place of the Most High. That we can't just talk about it and make it so. We can't just read a book and make it so. It's not going to come because Ariana said it. It happens because we find the stillness in our lives to become aware. And every Sunday when we come and we have our moment of stillness, we have an opportunity to practice that. To practice the awareness of the oneness. We have an opportunity to practice, but it can't be the only work you do because someday for you or for someone else, you're going to want to access the secret place of the Most High more than you want anything else in the world. You're going to want to call forth the absolute power of the oneness to help you, whether it's to help someone else or it's because of what's going on with you. It's going to be more important than anything else, and you are going to be highly motivated, and I want you to be ready. I want you to know in that moment that at the very core of your being, nothing can tell you you are anything else but God expressing because you know that so much in the heart of who you are that nothing and no one can make you doubt it. And that only happens if you give it time. It only happens if you make time to be with yourself, to sit. Charles sat for six and seven hours at a time. He managed to grow his leg pretty remarkably. But to me, the remarkable part is every day being willing to sit that long. Myrtle sat long enough to go through all of these affirmations. All of this. In small type, she sat taking time to really bless all that she was What could possibly be more important to you, more powerful in your lives, more life-changing than coming to know the divine that exists in your own deep heart? What in your life could possibly, possibly be more important than that? So if you want this stuff you're learning here to work, that's where you start. That's where unity started. That's what unity is all about. I have some quotes for you. Anthon St. Martin said, you are one thing and one thing only. You are a divine being, an all-powerful creator. You are a deity in jeans and a t-shirt. And within you dwells the infinite wisdom of the ages and the sacred creative force of all that is, all that ever will be. Amit Ray said, there are two types of seeds in the mind, those that create anger, fear, frustration, jealousy, hatred, and those that create love, compassion, equanimity, and joy. Spirituality is germination and sprouting of the second group and transforming of the first. Charles Glassman said, The way I see it, our natural human instinct is to fight or flee that which we perceive to be dangerous. Although this mechanism evolved to protect us, it serves as the single greatest limiting process to our growth. To put this process in perspective and not let it rule life, I expect the unexpected, make the unfamiliar familiar, make the unknown known, make the uncomfortable comfortable, and believe the unbelievable. And finally, Kristen Rogers said, don't hide your hurt, beautiful soul. Grab a hold of it. 
Run it through the purifying flame of your heart and mold it into something beautiful. Allow the depth of your pain to expand the breadth of your compassion. Gather up your stumbling stones and build a bridge for someone else. Remember what it's like to be lost in the darkness so you can be someone else's much-needed light. Don't deny your pain or bury it away. Let it rise to the surface and then transform it into something worthwhile.